I'm Nick Harvey Doyle, an Anawan man from the Northern Tablelands of New South Wales. The Yarn podcast is made on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong people. We'd like to acknowledge First Nations people as the first storytellers. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. From the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, this is The Yarn. I'm Thomas Phillips. For the first time in four years, Australia is facing an El Nino, a weather pattern that can cause extreme heat. These increased temperatures would make Bendigo especially vulnerable to droughts. But an adaptation plan to restore the region's waterways will provide a much-needed safeguard. Today, we're bringing you an interview with journalist Sasha Gadamaya about her reporting on Bendigo's waterways. Her article was co-published by The Citizen and The Bendigo Advertiser. It's part of an ongoing regional reporting project focused on Greater Bendigo, or Jajawarang country. I started by asking Sasha about a local park ranger who restored part of Bendigo Creek to its pre-colonial state. So Mark Dewey is a park ranger for the city of Greater Bendigo, and he's an absolute character. He's so passionate about river systems and water and the environment, and particularly about Bendigo's ecological history. He like loves talking to people, and he can explain these crazily complicated environmental systems in the friendliest most approachable, often really hilarious way. He just has so much knowledge and he's passionate about sharing it. So he was a great person to talk to for this story and why he became such a central feature of it. And we spoke on the phone about some of the techniques he's used over the years to keep the land he manages healthy. So part of that land is Bendigo Creek, which runs from Kangaroo Flat, just outside the city boundaries, all the way through the CBD of Bendigo itself. Then it spills out into the Murray at Kerrang, which makes it actually part of the Murray-Darling Basin. So the whole river system is kind of connected to other really prominent waterways and ecological systems when we think of Victoria. And outside the city, it's a normal creek with soil beds and trees and grasses around it. But in the city, it's paved and concreted. You can see it and cross it from lots of different points in the city as well if you go to Bendigo and visit. But the bit of work Mark did that I was really interested in was around the time of the millennium drought, which is roughly between the late 90s and the early 2000s, depending on which part of regional Australia you were in. And before the millennium drought started, Mark was already a park ranger at the city of Greater Bendigo. And he looked at old, like, hand-drawn maps of what the Bendigo Creek looked like pre-colonisation and just at the beginning of the gold rush. He noticed that there used to be chains of smaller ponds that all funneled into the larger creek and he started mimicking these by like digging up small cones into the ground that looked like the ones frogs would have lived in before there was any extreme human intervention that we saw during settlement. So after he sort of started experimenting with these, the drought struck a few years later and while the concrete parts of the creek dried up, the parts of the creek where Mark had dug up these ponds were actually still wet and damp. And basically what was happening was that the chain of ponds he dug had absorbed water when there was plenty of it flowing through the creek and then stored it up for a non-rainy day. So when the drought hit, the creek was able to hydrate itself with all the stores of water kept in the soil, slowly dripping out into the ponds and keeping the creek bed moist. 
So right now, this method is proving more and more important as we prepare the environment and the land and ecosystems for what's looking like an impending drought. So this chain of ponds was protecting Bendigo's riparian ecosystems. Can you explain what riparian ecosystems are and why they're so important? So a riparian system is everything that's connected to a river or a natural body of water, even like a wetland. So in Australia, that mostly means native grasses and plants that need the water to survive. The native grasses are habitats for local species of animals and insects, but it also contains natural rocks and sediments. And it's these parts of the riparian systems that are really important in Bendigo because they trap water and slow it down, which has large effects further down the river network towards Melbourne. And Bendigo's riparian ecosystems are particularly vulnerable. Why is this? So Bendigo's riparian systems are especially vulnerable because the area has such an intense mining history, which has made the land especially susceptible to adverse weather events. When hordes of people were hunting for gold in Bendigo in the 1850s, they turned up a lot of the soil the town is now built on and removed all of these important parts of the riparian system, like the rocks, clay, roots, trees, even leaves. And all of this extra stuff around the dirt, that's what actually holds the landscape and the soil together, especially around the river where there's lots of water moving through it all the time. So mining removed all of these natural obstacles to the flowing water and exposed this like softer, more vulnerable subsoil to the elements. And over the years, this speedy rushing water has eroded the subsoil, which allows even more water to rush through faster and faster. And I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but if the water doesn't slow down at different points, then it gathers speed and volume at parts of the river where the bank can't actually contain it anymore. And then you get things like flash flooding. So this will only get worse as the climate changes and these extreme weather events become more and more frequent. And another important point is that if the water doesn't slow down, then it doesn't have enough time to seep into the banks and nourish the surrounding environment in the way that we know it kind of needs to in order to be able to survive through a drought. It also can't seep into the banks and be stored up. So when the drought hits, the water can be redistributed. Think about a riparian system like Bendigo Creek, like a camel storing water in its humps for a long trek through the desert. If the soil can store water during times of flood when there's excess of it, then it can redistribute it during the times of drought when there isn't actually much of it to go around. So efforts are already in motion to restore more of Bendigo's waterways. Can you tell listeners about this project and who's behind it? Yeah, so there are a few sort of separate water management projects happening at the same time. Mark Tui, the park ranger, he works for the city of Greater Bendigo and he's been kind of doing this sort of land management as part of his job for years. He kind of just decided to start doing it. It wasn't a big council strategy. But separately in 2016, the local First Nations Land Council in Bendigo, their name's Jara, partnered with council to restore parts of Bendigo Creek using traditional land management practices. So they regrew native grasses and recreated a chain of frog ponds again along the riverbed which has that dual effect of slowing down the water and also bringing back native animals and insects and stuff to the creek. So it's been a huge success for biodiversity. 
And it's also become an important site for cultural activities for the Jajawarung, who are the traditional owners of that part of country. So it's been hugely successful. And in 2020, the city of Greater Bendigo, which is who Mark works for, announced a broader plan called Reimagining Bendigo Creek, which puts Bendigo Creek at the centre of a lot of their environmental strategies and like climate change action plans going forward for the next couple of decades. So the Reimagining Bendigo Creek program, it's got lots of different elements to it and lots of biodiversity and water sensitive design and all of these plans that are all kind of centered around the creek because it's seen to be such a successful and integral part of the environment around Bendigo. So there's kind of lots of different things going on, lots of different groups and organizations, but it's all sort of funneled around Bendigo Creek itself. Can you talk a bit more about the specific role these restored ponds play in protecting Bendigo's ecosystem? Yeah, so it sort of has a couple of different layers, but the ponds basically create new areas for water in the creek that aren't just the main stream itself. You have what's called a retention detention system, which sounds super complicated, but I'll kind of break it down. It means that you have some deep ponds which trap sediment in churned water and filter it to be much cleaner. And then you also have shallower ponds that slowly oxygenate this water and create habitat for animals. And so those are the really positive biodiversity effects, filtered water and animal habitats. But when it comes to climate change, this like pond system of like multiple different depths and multiple different bodies of water, these are particularly important for water infrastructure when we think about going into periods of El Nino and La Nina. So a retention basin is something like a dam. It permanently holds water in a specific part of the catchment and it's controlled by like water authorities and government and it's a whole very complicated system. Whereas a detention basin, it holds water temporarily and releases it really slowly, which is sort of what we've been talking about with Mark's frog ponds. And the way he explained it to me is that when you have a detention at school, you, you eventually get let out. And so when you have water in a detention basin, it is released just gradually over time. Whereas when it's in a retention basin, it's just stored there like a dam. So detention basins are really important for slowing down water. If we have a combination of retention and detention basins upstream, basically frog ponds, when there's a period of extreme rainfall, like we've seen in the last three years of La Nina, then the system is much better able to cope with huge amounts of water. And this also means that there's less flash flooding in Bendigo itself and also further down the system. If you remember, we talked about how Bendigo Creek is connected to the Murray-Darling Basin and eventually flows all the way down to Melbourne. When I was researching this story, one of the councillors said that the flooding in Bendigo and how much water the system can take up in Bendigo is directly related to the flooding that we saw in Maribyrnong last year. So if we can slow the water down further upstream, then it's less likely to all come rushing out in places like Maribyrnong when it gets closer to the ocean. You also spoke to some adaptation experts. What did they have to say about the strategy to restore these ponds? So I spoke to Robert Fagan, who's an associate professor of climate change and adaptation at Deakin University. And he's been researching ways regional areas, particularly in Victoria, can adapt to new climate risks. But he talks a lot about something called blue-green infrastructure, which is where you make modifications to new or existing kind of urban infrastructure and buildings to make it useful during climate events that are really extreme. 
So, for example, in a city in the Netherlands, they're experimenting with absorbent pavements that soak up water when it rains or floods. And not only does that mitigate the effects from flash flooding and the devastation that that causes, but it stores up water to be used then when it's scarce later down the track. So Mark and the Bendigo Council have a similar name for this. They call it water-sensitive urban design, and that's really prominent in the council's sort of future climate plans. And the frog ponds are kind of an example of that blue-green infrastructure, but without the tech involved. Instead, it's sort of repairing these riparian systems to their pre-colonization state, and that's often using methods that would be considered sort of indigenous land management practices. So it's sort of at once totally radical and ancient. And I think that's really cool. <laughs> that was Sasha Gatamaya. You can read her article in The Citizen and The Bendigo Advertiser. We've included the links in our show notes. The Yarn is from the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. It's produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. This episode was produced and edited by me. It was mastered by Elliot Rodriguez. Our executive producer is Louisa Lim. I'm Thomas Phillips. See you next week.